Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the A Mother Brand podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to the total legend that is Shah Wasmond MBE, a serial entrepreneur who's currently on her fifth seven-figure business. Shah is an entrepreneur who's driven to help more people learn how to create generational wealth for their families. She's also a shining example of how we can build businesses to suit the life we want to have. Shah famously takes the whole summer off so she can spend quality time with her son. Shah's also a passionate supporter of women in business, and I truly love speaking to her because she's the real deal. She says it just like it is, and she shares her truth with no holds barred. In this episode, Shah explains everything from why it took us so long to own who she serves best, why so many women fail at entrepreneurship and what they can do about it, and why it's so vital to build our own email lists and how we can do that. I hope that you enjoy my interview with Shah Wasmond. This is the A Mother Brand podcast, and I'm your host, Noni White. I'm a former TV producer director turned mother and entrepreneur, passionate about showing more mothers that you don't have to settle, that there is a way to be the mother that you want to be and do work that you truly love that works for you. On this show, I'll share simple strategies for building a life you love, based on business development and personal development through the lens of the science of well-being, positive psychology. I'll also be sharing interviews with inspiring female founders and my own insights and experiences from the front line of juggling motherhood and business. Now let's get going with today's episode. Shah, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Hello, I am glad to be here. It's going to be a good conversation. So Shah, I've known you for a couple of years and I've been in a number of your programs and I'm in your membership, but for the people who are not in your world, what does your business look like now? Okay, so uh, my business, so so I guess probably the place to start is that I'm a serial entrepreneur. So um, whilst I definitely consider myself to be a business mentor, I wouldn't call myself a business coach, although the people that I work with um, one-to-one, I typically mix the coaching and the mentoring, but the mentoring piece is really important to me because I'm coming at this with very significant real world business experience, not theory, but real rolling my sleeves up, making the mistakes, winning the awards, making the money, losing the money, the whole spectrum of what it's like to actually run a real business. So, you know, for, for those who like numbers and for context, this is my fifth seven-figure business. So it's not my first rodeo and I have made a ton of mistakes along the way. I am not like a braggadocious twat who's just sat here telling you how much money I make. I want to give you the context. I think it's really important. It's also really important to understand we were having a little conversation before we press record on this. It's really important to understand that you can also change your mind about your business at any point. This is your business. And I think that's another important point in the conversation. So for those who don't know anything about me, um, I am a multi-bestselling author. I'm a Sunday Times bestseller. Uh, My last book was called How to Fix Your Shit. Uh, I'm published by Penguin. We've sold over 250,000 books um, and and writing books that are at a cross-section of Business development and personal development is my sweet spot because I really believe that you can't have business development without personal development. I think they very much go hand in hand. So, um, you know, 
I've done a ton of other things in my career, uh, from being the only licensed female boxing manager in the world to setting up Dyson from around a kitchen table. In fact, Sir James Dyson wrote the foreword to my first book. Um, but really at my core, what I love doing the most is working very specifically with ambitious, driven entrepreneurs, men and women, not just women. But for me, my sweet spot is helping those who want to not just make six figures, but take six figures home. And also those who want to scale to the seven figure place. And, you know, there's some very specific experience as well that I have around people who want to exit a business because I've done that piece twice as well. So I I say this because I think that oftentimes in the online world, we're all maybe trying to be all things to all people all the time. And so my lessons over the last couple of years is that um, actually we can serve people in different ways. So we can create podcasts and books and lower price membership communities to serve people who are at a beginning stage of their journey. And we don't have to always be in the weed serving everyone from the startup to the person who wants to exit. We actually get to make a choice. Where do we want to spend our actual time? And for me, I want to spend my time where I believe I can serve people best. So my time is definitely best leveraged, both for myself, because it's my enjoyment, but also for the, the men and women that I work with, with those who are very much clear on where they want to go. They might not know how they're going to get there, but they know this isn't a side hustle. This isn't, I'm not happy with making three grand a month. I might have hit 5K a month and I want to hit 10, or I've hit 10, I want to hit 30, or I've hit 30 and I want to get grow this and scale this to a seven-figure business. Or I'm running a seven-figure business and now I need some help with my exit plan. And you've always said, like, who is it that you want to work with? That's that's always something that you're making very clear that we should all be thinking about. Absolutely, because we can't be all things to all people all the time. Now that doesn't mean look, my books are relevant to anyone. Anyone could buy them. And also you don't even really have to be in business. My podcast is relevant to anyone. Um, I I think that my membership site, if if you're, if you're starting a business from scratch and you want to learn from people who have actually been there, seen it, done it, bought the t-shirt, made the mistakes, got the scars and the awards, then my membership is really great to help people at that foundational level. My membership, I think, is like it's the difference between going to the gym and having a personal trainer. I like being the personal trainer, whether that's in my mastermind or my group programs. But I like going deep with people and really understanding what they're doing and having that impact in helping them shift where their projections and their trajectory after their business. And that is different to coaching because, you know, Coaching, teaching, and mentoring are, are three very different roles. So teaching might be more, not dictatorial is the wrong word, but teaching might be very more specific. This is my way of doing this thing. Coaching is, what would you like to do? How would you like to do it? Yeah. What is your way? And a mentor is, all right, Noni, tell me what you want to do. Tell me your plans. Map it all out for me. Right. Now, as your mentor, I'm going to step in and go, this is awesome. 
here's two different ways that we can do this. Now, my role, I can help you fast track that way or that you choose your path. I'm not going to tell you your path, but once you've chosen your path, I'm now going to help you get along that path quicker and easier than doing it by yourself or with a coach. And how many people do you work with per year in that capacity? Five. Like I literally work with five people one-to-one a year. Um, Probably, you know, most of the people that I've worked with and uh, you've seen what they've done in their businesses as a result of working with me. Um, Obviously they did the work too. I'm not claiming credit for their work, but I am very specific about who I work with one-to-one because I want to know that when I work with somebody one-to-one, I, I typically work with people over a 90-day period. We do deep immersed and we have very clear KPIs. Like, what do we want to have achieved by the end of that period of time? Which means that if you're going to achieve those goals, you have to be very clear about who you take on and who you say no to, because mm-hmm. it might not be right for them. So I only work with five people one-to-one a year, but I do run two masterminds. I run um, a mastermind called The Cartel, which is just for women. And it's for women who are doing multiple sex seven or multiple seven figures in terms of their turnover. Now, why is this important? Why do I use that as a barometer? Because the challenges that you face when you're growing from six to seven or seven to multiple seven figures are different than when you're trying to get your first six figures. So what you want in a a true mastermind, and this is why I think these, the languages in the, in the same way that teaching, coaching and mentoring People often get confused about the differences between them. And and I can understand that. Equally, I think sometimes people get confused about the difference between a group program and a mastermind. So a real mastermind is where you have one person who is facilitating, curating and leading the group. And they will absolutely have input. But a real mastermind is about the collective wisdom of you know, I think now some people are changing in the terminology from mastermind to hive mind. And I kind of quite like that analogy because actually it is it's it's about the the strength of the group, not just the individual. So in a mastermind, what you want is you want to be able to have conversations with people who are experiencing similar things to you or have already been through those things. So you might be further ahead than them in some areas of your business and they might be further ahead than you in other areas but collectively it means that a rising tide lifts all ships and and it's just wonderful as a woman to be surrounded by women who are normalizing their level of ambition and you know I just literally got back last week from from running my cartels at masterminds we 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 meet in person every other month and everybody has to take turns to go through what their KPIs are for each quarter. And that includes how much they're going to turn over and how much profit they're going to make each month. Like we are rigorous. Like this is real business. We talk about real business and real numbers, but I just don't think women talk about money enough. It's been a taboo subject. We feel judged by it. We feel ashamed if we're in a room where, where people are making more than us or, or alternatively, we feel guilty if we're making more money than somewhere else. But actually, this should be part of the growing and learning process. So it was just, it was wonderful. Every, you know, to, to hear people going, right, so, so I'm going to do 40 this month, 80 this month, 90, and here's why I'm doing it. Here's what the jump is. This is how I've mapped it all out. Here's, I'm using the metrics from, from when we met, you know, before Christmas. It's great to normalize that level of ambition. 
Um, and, the, and the women come from all different industries. So we've got someone who um, is in the care home industry. We've got somebody who's in the printing industry. We've absolutely got a couple of very well-known business coaches in it. So it's, it's, it's a real spectrum. And then I have another mastermind called Made For More, which is literally like the step before the cartel. So it's for women who are probably doing three, 5K months, and they really want to break through. They want to break through that barrier of 5K. They want to start working towards those consistent 10K months. They might have had a 10K month, but now they want to make that consistent. So those people are kind of in between the three and 5K consistently probably have some peaks that are higher than that. But what they want is a mastermind. Again, it is a real mastermind. So we have shared journeys, shared experiences, but there's a bit more training and learning. But I don't know about you. I think that we're, we're so many of us would benefit more from not learning anything else and just implementing what we've already learned. 100%. So I'm very heavy on people aren't here to learn perfect. Yes, we're going to perfect but we're here to perfect and implement, not learn the new shiny gadget, actually get things done because I love learning just as much as the next person, but we can keep ourselves on the learning treadmill without actually stepping off and implementing what we've learned. So when did you start up your, your, your so your five businesses in, when did you start up operating as yourself as an entrepreneur how long ago was that so I guess if you look at it from a brand point of view like me being my own brand six years so prior to that it was VC backed businesses that I exited one left another um prior to that I had my own companies but they weren't under my name so I had I, I had um, a PR agency that's why I started working with Dyson but it wasn't so it's really only the last six years and, and I've got to be honest it's a blessing and a curse right you can build a brand far quicker using your own name but then it's all tied to you it's all attached to you and you don't always want that to be the case right like you might want to sell the business or you might just want to take a step back. So I just, you know, if I had to do it all again, I probably would do it the same way. But now I'm diversifying into investing into businesses that have nothing to do with me unless you know they have something to do with me. And how long has it taken for you to get so clear about who you want to work with and, you know, what your zone of genius is and how you love spending your time? If I'm being really honest, I was very, very, very clear from day one, but I was chicken shit and just didn't really, wasn't brave enough to embrace it. So I always knew who I could help and who I could serve best because it's not really changed my whole career. Um, but I felt for many reasons that I had to try to serve all the people all the time, partly coming from an incredibly poor background, I didn't want to feel like I was a sellout. So I didn't want to be the person who would only help those who'd already made it because that just feels wrong to me on every level. Goes against everything that I stand for about leveling the playing field. But then I realized these are stories and limiting beliefs that we tell ourselves that tie us into poverty, whether the poverty is financial or the poverty is in our mind. 
And the story I kept telling myself was unless I did things a certain way, I was going to be a sellout and I wouldn't be true to who I am. So I had to serve everyone and I had to serve them all equally. And this is the part that I got wrong. Not everybody is going to feel the way I do about, but where I've come from, I want to be able to help those who need it most and can't afford it. So I, I, I run the one retreat, which is I run at cost and it's my way of giving back to women in business so that they can come and actually work with me in, in an environment where they can just press pause on their life and their business for three days and, and come to a whole different environment. And we don't make any money from that. Right. So that's one thing that I do. And I've always done. I've run that for now eight years. And the second thing is my podcast is free. So I am helping people for free. And secondly, my books probably cost 10 quid, 12 quid, and everybody can afford 10, 12 quid. And then my membership is less than 100 quid a month. And you get totally live questions. You get to ask me like it's it's, you know, less than you would pay for, quite frankly, somebody with 10 percent of my experience. If you were going to hire them as a coach or a mentor, whichever one you want to label them as. And it made me realize that I am actually already serving those people. But to me, it didn't count because it wasn't live. It wasn't like me talking to you like I am now. Although obviously the one retreat is live. And I thought, you do enough, Shah. And here's the reality. If people come to the one retreat or women come to the one retreat and then men and women read your book and men and women join the Six Figure Club, if they actually put into action what you're teaching, they will then be in a position in a year or 18 months time to actually join the things for people and businesses that are scaling and growing. And so as much as somebody else might be fully immersed in the startup world. That's not my spot. I want to be fully immersed in the growing and scaling world because that's where I can give a far greater ROI. Somebody who's in the space where they're ready to grow, they want to break through those three, 5K plateaus or the 10K plateau. I've been there, seen it, done it so many times, but really I've helped hundreds of other people break through those plateaus. I am not the person to say, okay, how do I get started? What's the first thing that I need to do to get my foot? There's so many other brilliant people out there who can do that. So let me own my place and let them own their place that we choose and, and just recognize that we can, we can all coexist and we don't have to be all things, all people all the time. So you have a big kind of social impact push behind you and you have your podcast building a bigger table and you talk a lot about equity quality how long has it taken you to get to a place of peace with it's all right for me to 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 deal with the people making six seven plus figures with my main passion and to do you know as you just described how you've split up your work how long has it taken you to come to peace with that well I think it's probably only been in the last year that I've really just double down on my own positioning um I think everybody who's worked with me knows it but it, it was like more public facing what 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 I tie myself to what I attach to but I separate that out from my uh, my willingness to speak up like I don't care about that I will speak up if something is inequitable and, and it's something that I feel passionate about where I feel like I have a reason to speak up and stand up 
it's nothing to do with work. It's nothing to do. So, so on that level, I feel like I've never been any different and I'm never going to be any different. Right. And if it, that loses me clients as a result, because I'm standing up and speaking out about the things that matter to me, then I'm all good with that. That's fine. You know, I believe that if you've got a platform, you've got a responsibility to use it wisely, but it has taken me, you know, probably until the last 12 months to really own that. And now as we record this, you know, I've got a a 50% equity stake in a software as a service platform for coaches, which I'm just really super excited about that we launch um, sometime in Q2 this year. I've just joined the board of a VC fund in Monaco. Um, It's only one day a month, but I get to go to Monaco every quarter. So I'm quite all right with that. But the interesting thing and the reason why I took the opportunity was because 68% of their investments are into female founded or female co-founded businesses. And I think that people, if you don't know me, you forget that that's my background. That's the world that I've come from an like serious, proper business. And I'm not saying the world we operate in today isn't serious or it's not proper business, but there's a different level of rigor, to be honest, there's a different level of rigor required when you sit around a board table with investors who have all just put in, you know, maybe collectively 12 million pounds into a startup and they want to know, you know, what's the runway and what's the trajectory and what's the exit strategy. We think that launches are complicated, right? We think that launches are stressful. Trust me, if you sat around a board meeting where all of these people have invested a significant amount of money and they're relying on the founder to deliver the results in this period of time, then you know what stress is, right? That sounds super stressful. Yeah, but I'm not, you see, I'm okay because I'm on the VC side now. I've been on the other side, right? I've been on the other side, but now I'm on the VC side and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so one of the things I'm working on with them is, have you ever watched Billions? No. Have you watched? Okay, so there's a TV show called Billions and I love it. I'm, I'm pretty addicted to it. So um, it, it's a, it's about a hedge fund. And the hedge fund is uh, run and owned by the guy from Homeland, uh, Damien, can't remember his surname, but you probably know who he is. So, um, okay, so he, so, so he runs the hedge fund. Now he has this woman in the business called Wendy and she gets like a million a year salary plus equity plus points. Like she's very well, t- and her only job, she's got, big business background but she's also like a a mindset ninja so her job is to keep all of his top traders at their peak performance so she has an office where she's analyzing all the trades and what they're invested in but really it's kind of like a cross between that and the psychiatrist's office so they go into her office with all their troubles and their woes and their limiting self-beliefs and their doubts and she basically fixes them and sends them back out to go to war and it was was funny that's how they described me they said there's two reasons why we want you on board we want you on board to help with the female funded uh investments because we know this is really important to you but actually we also want you on board for the founders because we think you're kind of like wendy i was like i'll take that that's that's a good one i'll have that one i totally want to watch i don't mind that label so uh, i mean it what did the rose uh survey say less than a penny in every pound invested in businesses goes to female funded businesses mm-hmm. and that's why so it's yeah so you're 68 percent 
of the money from that fund that you've joined goes to women? That's 68%. Great. What? Sorry, no. 68% of their investments, not necessarily 68% of the money, but 68% right. of their investments are into female founded and co founded businesses so that means that 68% of their investments either have a woman who has founded the business or a woman who has co-founded the business which I think is amazing it would be interesting to know how much of the actual money they've invested the percentage went to the female ones um yeah and I think you have to look at that sector by sector because different sectors have higher startup opex costs than other sectors um but if we're not if we don't put ourselves forward to be part of that mix to change things then nothing's going to change right and these are things that i i just think it's just so important and when you look at businesses today and you might not know this uh, or, or you actually might well know this but the the statistics today are that the fastest growing group of people entrepreneurs to set up businesses are women over the age of 40 makes sense to me right so so one of two things have happened they've got disillusioned with their career mm-hmm. and they've moved from a corporate career to want to do it for themselves or they've got their kids through primary school pretty much and now their, their kids are a little bit older they're ready to get really focused on themselves and their business. There's lots of different reasons for it. But if women are the fastest growing, women over 40 are the fastest growing group of, of businesses, business owners, why is it we get none of the money? Why is it we get none of the funding? And why is it that women over 40, as, we, as soon as we hit 40, and some might even argue earlier, we become less and less visible less and less relevant and by the way i'm not saying this this is like how society and how the media you just need to open up a magazine turn on the tv and you see the discrepancy between how men and women are presented on tv like somehow men get older and wiser and more valued and more valuable and earn more money and women get more invisible and i was horrified when i i was I was on Instagram and I saw, um, I can't remember whether it's Davina McCall or Tamsin Alphabet, but clearly the whole menopause conversation has, I don't know where it's come from the last, I've only noticed it maybe the last two years. It's obviously something that's suddenly got a lot more airtime. But I had absolutely, I don't know if you really, it was astonishing, Noni. Over 50% of women take a career break because of the menopause. 50% half of us half of us take some kind of career break so either you or me statistically are going to have to take a career break and the menopause is the second highest reason for a woman to take a career break after giving birth so not illness not 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 having you know any kind of illness menopause second reason women take a career break um, going back to the amount of women setting up businesses over 40, I when I last did big market research about female entrepreneurship, what it was saying was lots of people may start up or want to start up, but they don't necessarily survive. And that is the challenge with lots of women starting business. I don't know if it applies to that statistic, but you work a lot with you work with both sexes, but obviously you have the one retreat and um, the cartel. And, you know, you work a lot with female founders and entrepreneurs and now you're looking at it from the VC side too what are the key things from your experience that you think 
hold us back from success? I think that we suffer from self-sabotage far more than men. And I'm not saying it doesn't affect men, it does, but we suffer from self-sabotage far more than men do. We suffer from a lack of self-belief more than men, which is tied in. Um, and we burden the, we carry the burden of the home and childcare more than men. And I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why as women, I've got to be honest, I don't get as why women, we still allow this to happen. And, I, you know, I know there's going to be some women listening to this saying, you don't understand my life. You don't understand. And I probably don't, right? I probably don't. But let me be clear about, I grew up watching my mum do that shit. I grew up watching my mum sacrifice her career. I grew up watching my mum being financially dependent on my dad. I grew up in an environment where my mum was too afraid to get divorced because she had no idea how she could financially cope. So I have made sure my life does not look anything like that. There is no chance I'm ever going to be anywhere that I don't want to be, period. And when it comes to equity and equality, quite honestly, it starts in the home. And that's not just what I expect from my partner, but it's what <coughs> I expect from my son. I'm making sure that my son grows up to understand, listen, when you're in a relationship, please don't be stereotyping because you'll have your mother come to your house and I will take your girlfriend and your wife out and I will leave you there for a week to do all the shit by yourself. Because we cannot, as women, bring up our boys to think this is acceptable. It is not acceptable. If you have two people in a household working, you both need to contribute. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do the same thing, right? But the irony for me is I've seen women who are significantly out-earning their partners and yet are still doing 80% of the childcare responsibilities. Now, whether that is that they are actually having to do the childcare themselves, and this was particularly true during the pandemic, or it's just that they are left to figure out the childcare, right? Like the guy says, well, you know, if you want to get a nanny, then just get the nanny. Or you want an au pair, get an au pair. Or if you want them to go to childcare, well, that's fine. I don't mind, but I'm going to work. Like you sort it out. So, sorry, hold on. You're going to work. Well, what about my work? Why are we not sorting this out together? I just think that, that women have, even in this day and age, women have far more responsibility than they should have when it comes to childcare and the home. Well, so there's the practical side of things, but then there's the other, the mindset side of things that you touched on as well, that kind of culturally we've assimilated this poisonous patriarchy that's making us feel like women aren't good with numbers or women can't run businesses or whatever it might be that we kind of carry with us that holds us But back. that's also exacerbated by how we are subjected within our own homes to having to carry the burden of the stuff that doesn't necessarily impact on the money or the numbers and so if we're left feeling like okay so I'm doing all the domestic chores and I'm taking care of the children so is that my role so my role isn't to be the breadwinner because my role is to do the ironing and the vacuuming and make sure everybody's fed so that's my role so if we are if we are allowing ourselves to be put into those roles, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing vacuuming or ironing or cooking dinner, as long as your partner is doing the same too. Right? It's really simple. I have my standards and my standards are straightforward. I don't expect anyone to do anything that I'm not prepared to do myself. But hell no, am I taking on all those responsibilities 
whilst you think that you're going out there and working no that's not happening right this 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 not not in this day and age and so i think that what happens noni is that that has another impact so these stories that we and i'm glad to see or certainly what i've seen in in, in my son's school as he's been you know growing up is that actually that stereotype that stigma that girls weren't good at maths and they weren't good with numbers is really starting to change and shift and by the way i'm not particularly great at maths i'm really not like but i'm really good at making money so i'm okay with that i can hire a great accountant and here's the key because we know that we're starting in a detrimental position right we're not all starting at the same front line because we know that that we are starting from a different point, the key is to surround yourself with like-minded women who are going to support you and drive you and encourage you. I love the Madeleine Albright saying that there is a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. And I just don't have the time for that. There is enough for all of us. There is enough space <coughs> for all of us. There's enough for all of us, right? There's enough for all of us so we need I mean that's that's really how my mother brand came about because when I tried to set up a business around having a baby I was utterly clueless and didn't know what I was supposed to be doing when didn't know where to turn but also it's that um it's that support from other people to keep you going no no you can do this no no you know you can overcome that fear you can you know what are you going to do next and and that's the sort that's why I created the mother brand community in the first place because it is that connection with like-minded people to keep you going and to empower you 100% it's crucial it's absolutely crucial because half the time we we feel like we're alone in this we feel like we're the only person going through this there must be something wrong with me there's nothing wrong with you babe there is nothing wrong with you whatever you're going through some other woman is going through it with you right now. In fact, many, many, many other women are going through it. And just normalizing those conversations, normalizing the challenges, being in a safe space where you're able to have those conversations and be honest about how you're feeling. Be honest about the highs without having to hide from them or be guilty or ashamed of them. Be honest about the lows without having to hide from them or be guilty of them. Just a place where you can actually show up and be yourself is just absolutely crucial. And in terms of your career, Char, have, are there moments where you felt doubtful? Like, actually, I'm not sure I should be doing this thing or that thing, or who am I to do this? Well, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a real arrogant twat because I'm actually not, and you know me quite well. But I have never, ever been in a situation where I don't feel like I'm good enough. I've never been in a situation, and, and that could be because... I had such a tough upbringing that I had to fight so hard that I just knocked all of that out of me. Like it just had no place to breathe because if I didn't do that, I couldn't survive. Have I had moments where I think, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh my God, all the time. Have I had moments where I get down a path and go, shit, I think I've gone down a dead end road. What am I doing? Absolutely. But I haven't felt like an imposter. I've never had imposter syndrome. I've never felt like, who am I to, to do this? Am I good enough? I, I, I haven't felt that, but I have felt the doubts about, is this what I want to do? Why am I here? What am I doing this for? Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, so if you don't want to do this anymore, what are you going to do, Shah? 
I don't know. Okay, we'll just carry on doing this six months later. Oh, what the fuck am I doing this for? I decided six months ago I didn't want to do this anymore, right? So we all do it, 100%. What do you do when that happens? Um, I've learned to listen to my instinct more. My instinct has never been wrong, ever, ever, ever. Um, and every time I don't listen to it, I pay the price for it. So now I, but I also, because I have been prone in the past to have that knee jerk reaction, like, right, shut that down, do that. Like, so now I sit with it for three months and I have a very hard and fast rule. If I feel the same way in three months, that's it. We're done. That's a really good rule. Because you can only have moments, right? Where if you've had... I don't know, you're arguing with your kids or you're arguing with your partner or you're just feeling shit or, or I don't know, something else is going on that impacts how you feel about your business. It might not actually be about your business. It could be about all kinds of other things that have nothing to do with your business, but you think it's about your business because your, your lenses are colored by what else is going on. So if you give yourself 90 days and you feel exactly the same thing, that is absolute surety that you're going down a dead end road. If it looks like a dead end road, it sounds like a dead end road and it feels like a dead end road, it is most likely a dead end road and you need to reverse and come back. Now, here's the thing. We talk about this in business a lot. We talk about something called a sunk cost and it usually refers to when somebody's made an investment into a business. So you have a sunk cost. So I've invested, I don't know, £100,000 into this business. So now I've invested that £100,000. When I start thinking to myself, I don't know if this is working. I'm like, no, no it's got to work because I've invested £100,000. And then I invest £150,000. And now I've invested £150,000. It's got to work. So that sunk cost can sometimes keep people from reversing and going down a different path. And the same is true in relationships. How many relationships have people, particularly women, stayed in because they think they've got a sunk cost? Well, like, I'm married. Well, I've been in this relationship for five years. Well, I've got two kids. Well, I've invested all this time and effort, not necessarily money, but it's an investment nonetheless. And so instinctively, you know, it's a dead end road, but you then wait for another five years to get to get to the end of the dead end road where you could have actually just gone 10% of the way, knowing there were signs everywhere saying, hey, Shah, stop. This is a dead end road gone 10%, seen the first sign and said, oh, that's a dead end road. Okay, I'm amicably going to uncouple myself and go down a different path. But no, because we feel like we've invested all of this, we are hell-bent on proving ourselves wrong. We're hell-bent on making sure that that sunk cost is going to come back to us. We're going to get a return on our investment, even though all the signs are saying dead end road, dead end road, dead end road. So listen to the first sign basically i mean just be conscious that that if you see the first sign and you're in a bad place wait for the second sign and if you're still in a bad place wait for the third sign but if you get the third sign whether you're in a good place or a bad place listen to the sign yeah and when you you were saying your lens can get colored by what's going on in your life what do you do to look after your mindset to try and keep in the here and now and you know as unaffected by the lens of all the other stuff going on um I had you know I had a super super tough year last year on, on so many levels it's my hardest year uh, that I've had in I think since since my son's dad passed away and I am very 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 grateful that I have a super tight knit of 
male and female friends that have been in my life since I was probably like 21. And we are a phenomenal support network. And as a result of that, one, I knew I've been through worse. So I always just go back to that. Charlotte, you've been through worse and you've survived. Whatever this is, it too shall pass, right? It, 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 it will pass. I don't know when it will pass, but it will pass. And I just keep coming back to what is my worst case scenario? And a lot of people think that's negative thinking, but I don't because I think to myself, you know, I've worked, I've worked, I've worked my proverbial bollocks off to put myself in a financial situation that I am in today, which would mean that my worst case scenario would be, let's just say I decide I, I, I am never going to work again because for whatever reason, I don't want to work. I can't work. Whatever the reason is. My worst case scenario would be I would have multiple other assets in my portfolio that would provide me with, you know, a half decent income. Um, but I have very significant assets in property. So I could sell one beautiful house and I could go and live in my other beautiful house on the beach in Whitstable and never have to work again. So I have to stop and say, Charlotte, you are your ancestors' wildest dreams. I come from a family who I am the first generation to own my own home. I come from a family that has been truly working class through generations upon generations upon generations who have only ever lived in council accommodation. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. No one would ever have thought that I could have done the things that I've done. Again, I don't say this to brag, but sometimes we've got to say, hold up a second. In the midst of how you're feeling right now, Shah, as shit as it is, you are still your ancestors' wildest fucking dream. Your ancestors would have been fucking grateful to own their own flat, let alone a couple of multi-million pound properties. So if you're having a shit time, remember what a shit time really looks like. And it does not look like this because you have options. You've worked hard for your options, Shah, but you have options. And, and I just, that carries me through because it grounds me. That's my reality. I've worked hard to have options. So uh, perspective is something that you use to help you when times are tough and your support network. Yeah. And not everybody's going to have the same opportunities or alternatives that I have. And if you don't, here's the key thing. Start building them now. Start building the support network start investing in creating additional income streams and assets. And I'm not talking about get rich quick schemes. I'm not talking about crypto, although I've got money invested in that as well. I'm talking about just start thinking to yourself, okay, what else can I do to start to create long-term wealth, generational wealth for me and my family? What could I sacrifice in order to make a gain somewhere else? If I don't have a support network, how do I start creating one? So I'm conscious that I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have loads of things to do. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about was uh, a, a recent challenge that you had. Um, what, what was that? <laughs> well, it depends on which one. It depends on when I had uh, three back-to-back -back retreats in Marrakesh booked and I landed on a Tuesday uh, at eight o'clock and by 12 o'clock the next day they shut all their borders to the UK and I had to cancel them all or the one that's really driving me nuts which is my my Facebook account got hacked 
my um, Facebook ad account got hacked, even though we had two-factor authentication. As a result of the hack, they took over my account. They changed the ownership. They went into my business page, took over the ownership, kicked out all of the admin. Facebook wouldn't even talk to us for a month. We finally got our ad account back and the business page back because you need both those things to give Facebook money. But whatever the people who hacked me did, it meant that Facebook removed my Instagram profile and it removed my personal Facebook profile. And I still don't have my personal Facebook profile back. So my lesson to everybody would be, do you know what, guys? You seriously want to be built. If you run in a business, please do not rely on social media. Definitely do not rely on social media alone. Every post that you put out there is on rented ground. You don't own it. You need to be working towards getting those people from your social media posts, from your reels, from your stories, from your lives onto your email list. Your email list is the only thing that you own, period. That's your asset. Everything else, all your social platforms could be taken away from you. So for me, it's the fundamental thing. And again, I'm grateful that I've always focused on my email list. So I've got a very strong, very healthy, very engaged email list with a 50% open rate. And if I didn't, I might not have a business right now, right? Like I've been off social media for three months. That's a long time. That's a long time in today's world. I'm not saying, I've got to be honest, I didn't really miss it that much. I realized what it was like to actually truly be present with people. So you are lucky that you have, well, not lucky, you have a good email list. So that stood you in good stead. But for people growing their email list, we need to move from social media to our email list. What would you recommend? So I think the, the, the key thing is you've got to make sure you've got a really strong lead magnet. So think about your audience. What is something that you can offer them that is going to make them want to swap their email address for that piece of content? And then what people I see people put the hard work in to create this piece of content, but then they don't talk about it on social media. So you should have the 80-20 rule on social media. 80% of the time, you have a call to action in everything you do, every post, every reel, every video, every live. Now, call to action doesn't mean that you're selling. It could just be. So I've got a I've got a great lead magnet that helps people. It's five great tips to building a small but mighty list. And the reason I call it that is because I think, again, people think I need 50,000 people on my list to really have. No, you don't. You need like 500. It, it can be small, but you want to make it mighty. So that is a perfect lead magnet for me and my audience. So when I'm on socials or doing podcasts like this, I talk about it and tell people what the link is. It's a call to action, not selling anything, but then people go there, they get the lead magnet, they download it. So now I've got their email address, I'm building my list, but now they've got a resource to help them build their list. And if you provide really valuable content, people will come back for more. I've created a lot of lead magnets. Um, My early mistakes were not making a lead magnet that, aligned with my ideal customer so then you get these people who join and then they're not interested in your content so then they leave you and they're like oh what would your top tip be for creating the ideal lead magnet start with the end in mind and actually um in my five great tips i go into what this looks like because you actually want to reverse engineer it so you want to think what are my offers who am i trying to attract and what is the step before that offer right so i want people who want to grow and scale businesses. People who want to grow and scale businesses want to grow their email list. So that fits in perfectly. I've got another uh, lead magnet for people who want to create a signature offer. So a signature offer is 
something that you become known for in your industry. And typically people create signature offers when they're one to two years in and they're at that growth stage. So I reverse engineer. I think, who do I want? Who, who is my ideal customer? What do they need now to help me lead them and nurture them to that journey? And think about the word lead magnet. You've got to think you want to be leading them somewhere. So when they come in, you want to lead them to somewhere good. So you've got to take them to something that is aligned with that lead magnet in the first place. Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of just getting people on my mailing list and being like, woohoo, and then carrying on as normal without thinking about where you're leading them to. Shah, we've been speaking for some time now, and I'm hugely grateful for your time, but also conscious that you are super busy. So I have one final question for you. If there were a tool or a book or a practice that you do that has made a big impact on your life, what might it be? Oh, um, I don't think I can just give one. I'm going to give two and they're entirely different. So my first one is I am um, part of that really annoying 5 a.m. club. I get up between 5 and 5.30 a.m. every day, even on the weekends. Uh, my partner thinks I'm a bit crazy. But that quiet time, forget the golden hour for photography. To me, that's my golden hour, the hour where I can, it's my time for me to be creative, to think, to be, to whatever. And the second tip is, and I can't stress this enough, find your tribe, find your people, find your community, find your support network. I could lose everything and I could build it all back up again within 18 months because of my support network. So thank you very, very much for talking to me today. Very welcome, darling. I hope you found today's episode interesting and useful. If you want to go deep on how you can build a successful business around your family and thrive in 2022, I have a membership that can help you with this. Go to amotherbrand.com forward slash membership for more info. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do hit follow, leave a rating, leave a nice comment and share with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Thank you so much and see you next time.